Welcome to Time to Market, a podcast by Lean B2B and SK Murphy, where we share principles, actionable advice, and rules of thumb for B2B founders. This week, we answer a listener's question. We talk about how founders can build the confidence to start selling, how to get started selling their product, how to avoid being taken for a ride by prospects, how to stay in the game, and how to know if your sales process is working. We hope you enjoyed this brand new episode. Hi there, Sean. So today we got a great question from a listener. The question was uh, wondering about B2B startup founders. So especially the tech founders who often don't necessarily have experience in sales. How do they become good or they become effective as B2B sales staff? I think that's a pretty good question to tackle for the, the podcast because a lot of founders are actually forced to learn sales. So they might have an innovation. They might have a career in, in organizations. Their core expertise in organization was not necessarily sales, but suddenly they are in a position where they need to uh, either pitch, they need to hire, they need to sell, they need to partner with other organizations. And that all involves elements of selling, or at least the, the, the specific aspects of convincing people to, to be able to, to get around. So a lot of people in startups are involuntary sales leaders, especially early on. So maybe it might be a good idea to give people the 80-20 and also how to master or at least get better at the art of selling. What do you think about that topic? I, I think it's a really good one. And I think there's, so I started a couple of businesses in my teens and I had to sell to get business, right? I was a photographer. When I was yearbook editor, we were left with a deficit. So we had to go start selling ads immediately so we could actually get the book out. So those were in hindsight, good experiences. At the time, yeah. they were stressful. But I think most founders, they have a couple of kind of mental barriers or mindset barriers to, to selling. There's a couple of quotes, great products sell themselves, you know, marketing is a tax, that products pay for being unremarkable, which I think have probably destroyed more companies than most other bad advice combined. Well, um, if you build it, they will come, right? If they build it, right. So if they build it, they will come. That's another, that's another, we should, we should do another startup posters of things that are yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. toxic. And they will come at the exact right pace that you need to scale your company. They will yes. not come like just trickle in every once in a while. And, and you can guess their needs without actually having to talk to them and negotiate with them. You never have to negotiate. You never get it wrong. You know, you show them the thing and they go, I got to have that. Yeah. Businesses are notoriously passive. Just dad like hints at the idea that. There are certain parts of the business don't require the same amount of skill or the same amount of practice or experience to build. And that seems to often be a kick in the face once you start realizing that, hey, this sales thing is not as easy as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, people are surprised when their announcements are met with kind of a resounding silence. There's also a view of sales, at least in B2B, that it's, it's really, you're looking for the most accomplished liar you can, right? Which I think is, is a terrible misperception of what's actually going on. There's the hunt for the mythical salesperson who's commission only, but quite good. Yeah. Um, What's the Glenn, Gary, Ben Ross? They're like the always be selling out, like that kind of mindset. I think that kind of permeates across even like software, like people where people kind of associate sales with that tricking customers or trying to force products down their throats. That whole idea of like selling ice to Eskimos, it's a, it's a little bit of a strange perception we have of sales. 
I think there's another aspect to a lot of the sales advice that gets written. So founders may be beginners as salespeople, but they're not first level salespeople because they're they're having to balance is what I'm hearing gonna require a change in the product, a change in my message, or talking to somebody else, right? So most first level salespeople, they're trying to make quota. They're given sales tools that more or less work and they have to execute, right? Founders have none of that. They're, they're selling to meet payroll, not quota, right? Which is a little higher risk bar. And, and they're not sure that what they've got is actually fully, I mean, even if they're confident it's fully baked, often it's not. Yeah. But is it part of the issue there that we use the same word for both? Like one of them is like, you actually have something that you know kind of works. And you're trying to sell it to a specific customer set or customer segment. And the other one is you're kind of trying to figure out what the right way to sell this or the right way to position the product. So there's all these variables that are still in movement. And it, it, you see it often with startups, like they will hire a sales leader that has sold things that were very, very much defined. And they will try to get that person to sell their product. When it's still unfinished, the benefits are still work in progress, the way you position it. So it, it seems to me that those are both different profiles, but they're also not necessarily the same activity. We just use the word sales because I think that's the category, more or less, and it's not necessarily the same same thing. I think that's an excellent point, and we we don't distinguish between the need to make sure the product is ready for the market and there's a fit, and then the need to learn how to sell it, which occurs in parallel. The other thing that goes on, I think, when you have a product that you know is going to provide value, then you incent the sales guys towards getting that order. It's about getting the purchase order, right? But founders yeah. have to hold themselves accountable for creating value in the customer's business, which may occur days, weeks after the purchase. And never. Or, or never. And sometimes, you know, then there's churn or there's non-renewal. There's certainly not scaling up and expanded use. So I think that the founder's finish line is much farther away and much harder to achieve. And they've got more variables they're having to adjust around product configuration, message configuration, ideal customer that most of this gets figured out for the first level sales guy. So I think you're right. I think we're, we're using the same term, but it's not really appropriate. It's something else. Okay. So if we're talking about those early sales, would, would you say is, is kind of the way to, to get started to sell or advocate for your product? So I think there's this, you, you know, it, it's kind of like you look at the scoreboard and there's a whole bunch of innings with zeros in them, right? You've pitched a bunch of places and nothing's worked. And then you start to get these wiggles of hope, right? You start to get, okay, we got a guy on base. We got a guy on second base. Okay. So at some level, there's the need to get in front of more people. And this is normally, in our formulation, it's driven by content. It's driven by joining communities they're part of. If we're talking about B2B, it can be strangely adopting a product which is adjacent to yours, which you complement or extend, and trying to sell that. It's because if they're both targeted the same problem, then 
that can be viewed as a risk-reducing strategy, right? And we've talked about this earlier in extending the runway. So there's other things you can sell that are these small products that lead the way for years. And then then the second half of it, and that's really marketing. Marketing is really a broadcast. And then sales for me is a conversation. So then you've got to start closing more opportunities that requires in B2B conversations. If we're talking about the $29 credit card purchase, which is not most of B2B. Yeah, yeah. But I do feel like the, the discussion around sales kind of get sometimes conflated, or at least uh, people in startups who may not necessarily have the experience of selling or the experience of sales success in the past will get uh, hung up on the idea of tools or the idea of this specific mindset or like more the techniques, more the, the technical elements of selling as opposed to the actual essential of what selling is or what actually building that sale with the organization is. So there's still that kind of mindset of, of trying to almost try to throw products at companies and say like, do you buy or you don't buy as opposed to trying to strategically build that relationship and try to understand perspective from the company's worldview and then try to see out a solution or another type of solution would actually fit within the, what they're looking for. Isn't there like a little bit of a change in, in terms of mindset as well that kind of needs to occur in order to be able to, to start having the right kind of discussions with organizations? I think you made a really good point there. And I see this a lot. People grab onto a CRM or they grab onto an email generation tool or they grab onto other kinds of outreach tools because to them, it looks like technology. Hey, I understand technology. The sales thing's actually easy. It's not about people at all. It's about this technology. Yeah. And in fact, I can act just like the Google insect colony and never talk to people and just send them messages, right? Um, yeah. So I do see that failure mode a lot where people, so we always tell people, look, in the beginning, you're going to have so few prospects to manage. Let's just build a spreadsheet. Let's Let's just figure out what our process is going to be. Don't jump to Pipedrive or Salesforce or whatever. It's a, you're right. It is a mindset. It's a, it's a desire to move back into the technology domain. And that's a, that's a really good point. But I think um, it's also sometimes a way to avoid doing the actual work of starting to do the sales. Like I need to figure out the CRM thing. I need to figure out the other parts of the solution before I actually start speaking with customers. Like, I'm not ready. Just right, give me right, three right. weeks. I need to set up my whole process. It's going to be amazing. We're going to have these perfect emails coming out, all these things. So then it becomes more about, more like a, a solution. Exactly that. It's a solution. You're part of the, the, the product that you're putting in place. I've created this solution, and then we're going to start testing it. But at the end of the day, it, it ends up being uh, another layer of delay. And I think that's something that kind of needs to be unlearned to some extent or where as you mature, as you go forward in this, it really should be recentered around how you build relationships with people and how you actually manage to understand their perspectives and manage to understand their needs, manage to understand how to effectively grow into something that will be mutually beneficial. I work with a small team of couple guys that were here and then some guys that were back in Eastern Europe. And so one guy said, I'll do the outreach thing. And he was working with these different outreach tools. And so we had said, okay, we're going to start on this date. And like a week goes by and he's given the same story you're going. And I talked to the other guy and I go, well, you know, 
Peter's sharpening his sword, right? And so six weeks go by, I go, so he's got what used to be a broadsword down to a letter opener. I mean, you just can't keep sharpening, right? I mean, you can't. Part of the other problem, though, is that when you actually go out and start to talk to people, most of the time it doesn't go very well. And it's, it's a very slow learning process. What have you seen people do to deal with the fact that you've got very few people that'll talk to you and most yeah. of the conversations don't work? Have you seen things that have, have helped? Well, I think exactly that. That is part of a, a big challenge, especially in, in B2B, where, where there's usually much lower volume of leads, much uh, slower volume of leads. So sometimes I work with organizations and they're getting just a few leads per week. If you are going to use your campaigns to kind of test with these people or you're going to start reaching out to organizations, it will make your message testing or your ability to iterate on your approach very difficult or very slow. And oftentimes, if you do start with some outreach, so for example, you're doing cold email campaigns with customers, you will not necessarily get that explanation of why things are not connecting. Like, what are the objections? What are the issues that people understand the information that you're, you're putting in front of them, understand what you're talking about, what, what parts are gaps. So I find the closer you can get with some organizations so you can have discussions, the, the easier it is for you to, to be able to iterate. I'm working with a few organizations and, and they are not led by salespeople to start with, but I found that sometimes that can actually be even better because you're closer to the, the problem space but you got to speak the right way or you got to be able to, to really have uh, business discussions or, or have, have discussions about the problem space that they're facing in the organization as opposed to talking about your product. So just being able to connect with people and discuss about the actual things that they're thinking about inside the organization, I think is pretty much step one for me in this case. So, so just being able to build that proximity with a few customers will at a minimum help you build some of the the right way of thinking about relationship building or, or sales building, but also will help you just build some of that confidence to actually be able to start to engage with more organization. There is that chasm where you feel, you might feel intimidated of, of approaching people or starting to speak with people. And you kind of need to get across that chasm. Otherwise, it will always feel like like the worst part of your week. So when I started doing consulting, I had a coach. And you would tell me like, you got to do cold calling like one day a week. So I, I, I started doing this initially. It was like, like the worst part of my week by far. But once you're starting to get some level of success, it, it's like a, a muscle more or less. The more you're trying to do this, the more you're trying to, you're practicing it, you're, you're starting to get some success. You're trying to feel more comfortable interacting with organizations and stakeholders, the more you will be willing to do it. But at the same time, motivated in having those conversations that can actually serve anything else in your organization in terms of feeding the backlog or feeding as well your understanding of the market. So we take a different approach. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of cold calling. I find that it takes a psychological toll on a lot of technical people that they don't withstand. Yeah. So we try and get them into communities. We try and look at what questions are being answered, asked on forums. Can we look for some indicator that the customer has the problem or is looking for a solution to a problem we can help them with, right? So we don't do the LinkedIn cold outreach. We don't do a bunch of cold outreach. Part of the problem is a lot of the guys we're working with 
the market size might only have 500 or 1,000 buyers. And yeah. so if you send 500 emails out that are, for whatever reason, based on the best that you know, but are wrong, you've now made a first impression, right? I worry about the veterinary marketing thing where you just refuse to talk to your customers, right? I try and infer from the people install like Hotjar and they try and they're like studying the, I mean, we've had conversations yeah. where, what does this mouse move at me? And I go, I don't know, but we have to talk to the guy. We can't, we can't just try and infer from mouse movement what the guy's desire is, right? So I think it's kind of hinting at the same thing, though. It's that maybe that first step to some extent when you're picking up sales is, is feeling more comfortable. I don't do cold calling anymore, but to me that that was a good process. But I've seen as well other people just go to events and be able to practice their pitch with a bunch of different people and just making them feel more comfortable especially if it's an event in the right space, might allow you to have more informal conversations, have more velocity, and now they engage with prospect. Is that kind of the first objective that you're kind of looking at in this case? Yeah, in terms of I, I think developing content that speaks to that, developing content that talks about the outcomes they're looking for or paints a before picture that captures the situation or the challenge that they're in and can provide some amount of guidance for how to solve it, right? So content marketing actually solves the same problems that your product does. It tries to help people make progress against those needs. And so that's yeah. more where I do. I, I think the other, the other reframing that I try and get founders to think about is don't think about this as sales. Think about this as a project that's going to deliver a result using your product for the customer that they're going to pay for, right? So and don't think about the endpoint as the customer pays you for the product. Think about the endpoint as the customer pays you for the result that your product delivers. And I think at least in B2B, that reframing often unlocks a lot of thinking. Yeah, I, I think about that quite a bit. Actually, I think the idea of thinking in terms of product creates directly some kind of separation between the, the customers and the organization is we're going to be talking through this product or we're going to be discussing through the, this, this product as opposed to here's what you're trying to achieve and here's us discussing different ways of delivering that value that may involve different levels of productized solution or may just be us delivering as services. I think that kind of removing the, taking the, taking the idea of having a product off the table allows to have more open discussions about the flow of value or the exchange of value that you want to have with organizations. Oftentimes I find. Yeah. And back in the first episode, we talked about our definitions of what it means to be in the market. And I think one thing we settled on was you're actually making offers that the customer is entertaining, they may be saying yes or saying no, but you've actually done enough diagnosis that you're now saying, we think we can solve this problem you've identified using our product or using a service based on the product. And again, I think people conflate, I'm sending out emails with a promise, but not getting any response, or I'm announcing something and not getting any response, or I'm on product hunt, but nobody's actually yeah, you know, called me. And I think really got to, you've really got to look at it as 
an ongoing dialogue. They've got to start asking you questions about what you can do, or you're not really in a you're not really in a dialogue, right? Yeah. So maybe a, a question on that. So what do you feel are the evaluation criteria? Like, how do you know you're actually doing this well when you're having these first discussions? Whether it's true cold calls and if you're in 2004 or it's it's true uh a different community or you're having you're getting on these calls these demos so what do you feel should be a takeaway or a way for founders to evaluate whether they're in the right direction they're going the right direction i think there's two tests first of all can you identify from symptoms that the customer offers a root cause or a diagnosis that they're at least willing to entertain, right? So can you connect the symptoms they're experiencing or the problems they're experiencing to what it is you're offering? And then secondly, can you accurately predict how much time and effort it's gonna take to deliver them at least a simple result or an initial result that will provide additional proof of value? So if you say, I can help you, and they ask, how much is it going to cost and how long it's going to take? And you say, I've got no idea. Then you've got a problem, right? I think you've got to have, most people want to fit your answer into a box, which has got a timeline and it's got a cost. Most people don't say, I don't care what it costs. I got to have it. And they don't say, I don't care how long it takes. I got to have it. Right. So I think it's, your ability to offer a diagnosis or a root cause, and then your ability to offer essentially a project timeline. Okay, okay. Is that initial discovery where you are able to recognize the challenges inside the organizations, see how, where or how you could actually deliver value to the organization, and then be able to structure your value delivery, your product, your solution, in a way that could actually be turned into an offer for the actual cut. The other thing I think people, and you've been through this as well, right? But this is not one conversation. This is not one conversation where they don't know you and you go to make an offer, right? This may take three to six conversations. There's often for more significant problems, there are two or three people, four people that get involved. You've got to have conversations with different people there may be an economic buyer. There may be somebody whose budget it's going to come out of. But that person will normally also want the answer to be vetted by somebody who's going to use it and by somebody who's going to manage it. So you have to look at this as half a dozen conversations, not as you're not going to close them on the phone in the first call. Right. Okay. But that, that sounds quite intimidating. Like I've not done this before, let's say. I'm I'm coming in and how do I stay in the game? Got this first meeting, like I finally got this call at Cisco or I finally got this uh, this to meet a stakeholder at Cisco. How do I stay in the game? How do I, do I take it from that moment, that initial interaction or initial meeting and take it all the way to having these six meetings or just these? You're right. And the answer is you win it one meeting at a time. So first of all... You're trying to win the game without doing all the innings. No, no, you have to. So the purpose of the first call is to get a second call. So you have to tell them something before the end of the first call that they view as relevant to their situation, which they didn't know. So you have to bring them some kind of new information or some new insight 
and they agree, we should talk again, right? Sometimes you may also ask them for information, ask them for data, give them homework, or you take on homework. But you have to win. You have to win each call as you go. You can't. Well, so there's an element of expertise or of new insights or new knowledge that you bring to the organization. So you can have a discussion around the problem space that you're, you're addressing. Right. And so for the people that I'm normally working with, once they can talk about the problem, then they become more comfortable. And normally they've got years of experience with aspects of it. So that's less threatening than trying to, quote, ask for the order or all that. Right. So I think you've got to provide a certain amount of insight to demonstrate your bona fides. And then you've got to figure out what's a simple offer where maybe you're asking for more information in exchange for that. You provide a more insight and then you're, you're working your way through. Okay. And so, so how do you evaluate whether that's going the right direction? Like you were able to get that second meeting, like how do you evaluate that you're kind of going in the right direction to be able to actually do what you were planning, you were hoping to do, close a sale. So does the person have a real problem you can help them with as opposed to they're just complaining or they just want to talk and they, you know, it's a nice, it's a nice 20 minute thing. So do they have something which is actually a problem? Do they have a goal or an objective at risk? Do they have something they're being held accountable for that's at risk that you believe you can help? So you've got to make that determination. You always have to have a believe that you're going, if you don't, then you shouldn't proceed, right? The second thing is they have to want to continue the conversation. The customer's in control of this. And that normally means you have another call within two to three weeks or certainly no longer than six. If they say, let's talk again in a couple months, that's a no, right? That's people that have a problem. Now, there are two times when you might get put off by a month or six weeks, it's legitimate. So Europe in August, apparently everybody goes on vacation. So if you're calling them in the middle of July and they say, let's talk in September, okay, that's probably yeah. okay. And in the U.S., between Thanksgiving and Christmas or Thanksgiving and New Year's, business doesn't proceed all that fast. I mean, sometimes yeah. deals get done, but it's, it's legitimate if you're calling them at the end, middle of November, early November, they say, look, really we need to talk in January when we've got the budget, then they may have a problem and they're not putting you off. But other than that, you have to be working on something that they consider to be relatively, it has to be a business critical issue. It has to be a critical problem for them because if you're just talking about a nice to have. Yeah. Sometimes it looks like the company is interested or it looks like those, those, for example, the objections you just mentioned about, uh, let's reconnect after the holidays or all these things. Like how can a founder hasn't necessarily had the experience of going through this process, tell them apart, figure out like what is a delay or what is an, an objection that's just not being said directly. How can they tell like whether it's actual interest or it's basically just a waste of time for your organization? In the beginning, as we discussed, you don't have a lot of leads. So you should err on the site of pursuit versus, oh, it's a waste of my time, right? So I think that's the first thing. I think the second thing is you have to figure that even, even in, a, 
in the beginning, even a 30% win rate is pretty good. So you're going to lose a lot. And if I could figure out the answer to that question, I, I'd be a happier guy. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't thinking about this at all. But like when I was learning this, I remember the, the advisor I was working with that this model of initially you start taking everything that comes more or less like like every every meeting and then gradually you refine and where you actually become more selective. You actually had this uh, chart that was a circle, which I've not seen anywhere else uh, since. But it kind of makes sense when you're you're considering this. Like, so initially, you're trying to to sell. You're, it's going to help you figure out like what are the objections, what are the qualifications of what could be a good customer in this case. Kind of figure out what's your ideal customer profile and find out a little bit. Even if you're taking on meetings that may not be leading anywhere, uh, you might also figure out what are the right roles, the right type of champions you should be speaking with. And gradually, as you go, you should be refining a little bit that recipe. It is a process that can actually be quite lengthy to some extent. So I do feel like the more you can have in the pipeline, the more conversations you can have, the, the better or the faster you're going to be able to move forward with this. I do have one other rule of thumb that I see, and that is that after each conversation, you should be learning more about their needs and more about their business. If you finish a conversation, and you've explained in detail how your product works and how it's going to solve the problem, and you know nothing else about their needs, then something else is probably going on, right? And I think people fall into this trap because it's easier to talk about, you know, what you've accomplished, you're happy about it, you're proud of what you can do, right? But it's got to be Roughly 50-50, you should be learning more about their needs. And if they deflect, if you ask questions and they deflect, and they deflect four or five times, then that's probably the single largest red flag I can think of, where they want to learn more about your product and they don't want to tell you anything about their needs. Okay, okay, okay. But so if we take it from the perspective of someone, I'm a really great programmer, I have this solution that I'm working on, I'm picking up sales for the first time. So what would one takeaway that you think people should get from this conversation? What would be one thing that is important for them to know? What are the questions that you're going to ask to diagnose whether they've got the problem and whether you can help them? So I would focus more on what are you going to do to uncover the need and make sure that you can provide them an estimate of how long it's going to take for them to see a result or value in their business. And it's less about all the features you've got and more about delivering value. Yeah, so the fit of being able to actually deliver something that will right. create some impact in the organization. Right. Okay, maybe I would add another takeaway, but even more basic than this to some extent, where I think some people start at different stage. In the previous episode, we talked about different types of people. We talked about introvert, extroverts. So I think it, it also can be a good thing to kind of look at where you're starting from in terms of your sales process and try to, if you're not comfortable having these discussions to start with, find a way to have more practice on that front, find a way to practice active listening find a way to speak with people and be able to, to get information from the conversation. There's a lot of guys on, on doing interviews that could help with this. 
and then gradually try to build the muscles to be able to get to the point where you're actually able to do more of a um, uh, strategic selling, where you're actually able to, to understand the needs, understand what they're struggling with, find a way to advise them with a solution, and then influence their purchase decision. I have some kind of process to be able to understand that. I, I think that there's a misunderstanding about introverts versus extroverts. And for the most part, you actually sell with your ears. And introverts make more effective salespeople for high ticket items because they don't feel they don't feel obligated to interrupt the customer with more features or more things you can do, right? Okay. But do you so then in that case, do you have uh, do you have another takeaway maybe for extroverts? Yeah, l- listen, listen more, talk less. I think that's a that's a pretty good coverage of how to kind of get into your first sales role or get into starting to sell as a founder. Maybe if we leave it there, so where can people go to ask us more great questions like this one or to get, give us feedback on the podcast? So I believe you're at Lean B2B on Twitter and I'm at SK Murphy. So please yes. look us up and uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Time to Market podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a like, leave a rating. It really helps in getting more B2B founders discovering the content. We'll keep working on new episodes and we'll see you next week for more actionable advice.